Good morning, good afternoon. Welcome back to what I believe is episode seven of our podcast series, We Are Alchemists. If you are a first-time listener, please go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to We Are Alchemists so you make sure you don't miss any of the future episodes and go back through our back catalogue as well. There's some, been some great guests and I'm pleased to say I'm joined by another one this afternoon. We've been joined today by Justin Payton, who's Chief Transformation and Strategy Officer for Wonderman Thompson in Asia. Thank you very much for joining us, Justin. If you want to introduce ourselves to our listeners, that would be awesome. It is, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I think you've done a decent job of introducing me. My title is, is, is more than a mouthful, I think. It's probably too long. But, uh, but realistically, uh, what I try to do in my day-to-day life is, is help brands figure out how to better use technology to connect with people. And that's what, that's what I do. Awesome. So I guess through the the daily travel of your job, you probably speak a lot about Web3 and that's kind of exactly where Alchemy have positioned ourselves is the decentralized exchange for Web3. So I'd love to hear just some of the conversations you have, how often you're having them and yeah, what they entail. Well, it's been a, it's been a passion point for a number of years. And, uh, and then over the past, what, like six months or something, it, it seems to have become a daily conversation. And uh, that daily conversation spans all sides, whether it be virtual worlds, whether it be augmented reality, whether it be tokenization and NFTs. Um, it, it seems every every brand I talk to has a question or an intention or a curiosity and a plan. Um, and and I think that the, the interesting side of it is that we're we're early in this process and, and brands are stepping in. They're probably a little bit slower than some people, but, uh, but, but they are diving in feet first. Do you think that um, Facebook's name change to Meta was a bit of a turning point for brands, you know, because I think all of a sudden CMOs yes. are like, what is a metaverse? I need to know now because the biggest advertising in the company in the world has changed their name to it. 100% mm. uh, that, was a uh, a trigger. All of a sudden, it went from something that existed in the background that people knew was there, but maybe didn't need to know how much attention they should be paying to uh, a business that they spend a significant portion of their media spend with saying, we're pivoting our strategy yeah. and or at least we're building out our our future in this area because we believe that much that this is the future, every brand paid attention. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's, when I think about that name change, it's like, are they doing it because they truly believe that the metaverse is ready right now for brands to be moving into in a big way? Or is it because they started to lose their hugely powerful attribution model through moves that were made by Apple and Google around device IDs and the access to those device IDs to target ads? I think it's, Interesting. I, yeah, I, I, listen. There's a million reasons that you could speculate on as to why they changed their name. Yeah, but, but I think I think the one thing that I'd say that like the the, the point of admiration that I have mm-hmm. out of the whole thing, and there's 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 pros and cons, but the point of admiration I have is any big company, any company of that scale who's willing to come out publicly and say, actually, we're going to pivot in a big way, mm-hmm. and we're going to tell you what we believe the future actually is. That's a big gamble. And it's putting their money where their mouth is. And whether you agree with everything they're doing, whether you don't, um, you have to respect the fact that they were willing to, uh, to put themselves out like that. 
I agree. I guess like Facebook were one of the the unicorns of web two, right? When that squishier front end came in from web one to web two, where you were able to interact with content online in a way you couldn't before, they moved to that first, you know? And then also when mobile devices appeared, there was this, uh, the analogousness of the apps on web two to web two mobile that AIM became WhatsApp, you know, and Flickr became Instagram. I think that They've already got pedigree innovating in what in the face of new technology changes. And for me, Web3 is kind of the revolution that you saw on the front end for Web2. Web3 is exactly the same for the back end. So I, I guess it does make sense for them to pivot in the way they have done, given their expertise in, in leading charges in new markets. Because I, I, that is, I guess, a, a tried and tested model. You know, like Candy Crush were doing it first when you could buy new lives to progress. Fortnite have done it then in a much much bigger way they've got collaborations with Balenciaga you had Travis Scott hosting a virtual gig inside of Fortnite I can see that maybe that is their cohort they're aiming for but like those those they exist they're, they're great metaverses really albeit without that um, ability to take your asset your avatar your item out of one Fortnite and take it into Call of Duty for example or into Facebook's metaverse I, I think I think that uh, it's not again, you know, not not knowing what they're going to build. Who, who knows? But I, I do think that when you look at those platforms, those platforms that you're mentioning, you know, the Fortnite, the, these the, the the Roblox, they are building uh, complete experiences, yeah. and they're building really amazing um, complete worlds and complete experiences for people. And when we talk about the virtual world and the virtual landscape, that becomes a really interesting and controlled environment mm-hmm. that. It allows people to bring themselves in, have control of their own individual, but actually allows brands, uh, concerts, other people to create a very, a very unique world that draws a really unique experience. I, I, I love, I love the concept. I love what people are building in those places. Um, I don't know what they're going to build there, yeah. but but yeah, I think it's because. Uh, I mean, we've obviously had the pandemic where people were physically decentralized from one another. So it it almost then makes sense for the technology to mimic that in some way, you know, and I think like people figured out they don't have to go to an office to earn money. People figured out they don't have to go to university to learn. You don't have to go to the grocery store to get your goods. You know, I think that whilst a proportion of the population knew that it's accelerated that idea of decentralization. I mean, like my grandparents now say the word zoom, which kind of nuts to me. <laughs> I never thought that would happen, but here we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I definitely think that, uh, that this has been supercharged by the fact that people, that people had to live separately yeah. and that people, that people had a decentralized view. I, I think that the fact that we, have people working from home meant that they had more time to go and explore new avenues. And I think when you look at the number of people or the attention that's gone on to things like NFTs, a good number of the people who I, who I know who have quit their jobs Mm. and are spending their time in that space. And, and that is where they make their money. Now I am, I'm confident wouldn't have if they had, a nine to five and a commute and all of that. They just wouldn't have had the time to invest in learning. So I definitely think we've seen an acceleration that way. The interesting thing is, you know, now that, now that the world does start to acclimatize, you know, do we, do we keep that? What goes back? What, what doesn't? I think, I think we definitely 
the acceleration on, on Web3 continues. Yeah. Um, whether the lifestyle of, of working from home continues or not, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure it'll continue to some degree, but, but who knows? Yeah, definitely. I, I think like when I think about the potential of Web3 and metaverses and kind of the key to those being NFTs, the, I'm not necessarily sold on the idea of going full Ready Player One right away i think that's like a bit of a departure you know just to just live inside a metaverse and it's still a little bit profound to me i think where we will probably start to see more and more adoption is through augmented reality you know like pokemon go proved that people are willing to do that get outside walk around catch virtual pokemon like that to me is the the entrance into metaverse is kind of a a mixture of both experiences as our behaviors won't change over two years of being um, separated by a pandemic you know it happens over tens 20 30 of years behaviors start to change so i think augmented reality is going to be a real nice way in almost that minority report experience rather than ready player one to keep the film references going <laughs> I, I think 100 percent. i i i think that the reality here is that most people still prefer to or most let's let's say most of the uh adult population with a significant disposable income mm. Uh, prefers spending time with humans in person rather than uh, virtually. Yeah. Um, I, that, that when I think about the 15-year-olds of today who socializing for them is sitting on Fortnite, mm-hmm. and if you ask them after they've been playing Fortnite for a couple hours, what have you been doing? They, and they say, oh, I've been hanging out with, su- with such and such friend or such and such friend. For them, socializing, those platforms are where they socialize. Yeah. So, so in the way that I grew up and had a telephone, they've got Fortnite, right? Yeah. So, so will when they become the generation with the majority disposable income, will a fully immersive virtual world be the place where they want to spend time and socialize? It, it just might be. Yeah. But for right now, I think that, that so long as... So long as those of us who grew up interacting in person are, are the dominant economic force, mm-hmm. I think that augmented reality will be a much easier on-ramp than, than fully immersive virtual reality. I think certainly it also, like, in my opinion, presents a really interesting solution to kind of the age-old attribution model, you know, like how well does my out-of-home ad perform, you know, like Coinbase bought in a QR code to a TV ad for the first time in a significant way. I think when you have a programmatically generated outdoor QR code on a billboard that you can scan, that provides you an NFT in your wallet that you immediately take to a bricks and mortar store, that then starts to become a very interesting metric from using the new technology. You know, not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but actually like having a route to closing a a window of attribution that has been impossible largely up until kind of now which i think is where the power of nfts lie 100 percent. i don't the only thing i'd add is get rid of the qr code and uh let me key the augmented reality experience or the nft drop off of the product itself yeah, uh, yeah, when, yeah. when we can key off the product itself and so all i need is 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 an outdoor display of a product and i can just snap that it recognizes the product in there and it gives me options then we're even smarter and the on-ramps even better but uh, but take the qr code uh to start with yeah because i think it it presents some really like interesting executions you know like i think artists have jumped into nfts first because it's a new in my opinion it's a new medium right in the same way that 
people had a lot to say when people stopped painting frescoes on wood and moved to canvas. That was crazy. Why would you do that? You know, wood's going to stay there forever. Why would you want your art to be portable? NFTs are kind of that same move to a new medium. I mean, we've had a few conversations with artists that are like, okay, we'd love to get into NFTs. And I'm like, well, in the same way that you like apply acrylic paint to a canvas in a particular way to create part of the art, you need to understand what's possible through the new medium, which right now is a smart contract and kind of baking that into the process of your art itself. So like generative artwork or combining artworks together or timed releases, you know, I think even to the case of if you were buying art in a gallery, at the moment you put a sticker on a dot, which is like very, very old school. Like that could easily be, you buy the NFT deed that comes with a physical piece of artwork. That artwork disappears from the wall whilst you're in a gallery and appears in your mobile phone. You know, that to me is quite an interesting purchase path that you don't get to experience with existing art galleries for this example. No, I like that example. I think that's great. I would love that. Yeah, it would be fun, wouldn't it? I think that would be a lot. I think that's a much more interesting way of dealing with it than they deal with right now. I like that. Um, Yeah. And, 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 and I think, I think, you're right that the the artists jumped in first yeah because because it's visual and because that made because because that's low-hanging fruit when mm-hmm. what you're talking about is storing an image in an ipfs file or in an ipfs location so, yeah. so it's, that works but but as you say the medium that sits behind it is a smart contract yeah and i would say that that when you look at most nfts or or kind of emerging NFTs now, uh, what you're seeing increasingly is the ones that that look at how they're going to use that smart contract in an interesting way. Um, those are those are those are the ones that are going to maintain value and accrue value. Whether it's it, either that or, or or things that are attached to community, but yeah. things that are just art, you have to be quite an artist at this point to to get that to get that recognition. Otherwise, it's it's I mean, it's hard to call it a saturated marketplace when there's not that many FT holders in the world yet, but, uh, but it certainly is a crowded marketplace at this point if all you're trying to do is art. Certainly, yeah. I think it's not that difficult to create 10,000 NFTs. You know, you can do it programmatically with layers. Like there is definitely still some work involved, but not like it would be to paint 10,000 canvas paintings. You know, like there's, it's a lot easier to do NFTs than it is canvas. So I think you're right. The, the barrier to entry is definitely lower, which I think is probably a good thing. You know, like there's always been that kind of meme of the struggling artist. I think this has given the, the, a means for artists to make more money, to be rewarded for their art, have no kind of arguments about who owns what IP where. I think it just like starts to begin to, make the whole marketplace a little bit more sensible and I mean, starts to push out some of the fraud, you know, like there will be new types of fraud. I think the, the one that is still go ahead. But I think, I think the interesting thing, if you look at, if you look at proof and you look at like the, the kind of excitement around the Moonbirds NFT that, mm. that they'll be dropping, um, that then you start to look at what they're actually doing with that, you know, okay. It's pixelated art uh, of owls and, and of birds, yeah. Um, but, but 
But the interesting thing is that different traits will offer different benefits. But the interesting thing is that if you nest your bird and hold it for a longer period of time, the contract will recognize how long you've been nesting it. And, and you will that, that same NFT will accrue greater value and greater benefits. Mm. So, so these are just simplistic elements uh, that start to think, that start to show you, you know what, how, this is how you're going to see a contract evolve. But you can also see very easily how you could take that those same concepts and add composability elements to it. So yeah. if you had more than one bird in a nest, do you get a whole different uh, set of benefits than you might get if you had those two birds individually? Uh, th these are these are the elements that are going to start coming into play very soon as people learn to, as you say, play with the medium. And and the medium is not the art. The yeah. medium is the contract. And and that's a really interesting element. That, that we're starting to look at when you start talking about the composability side. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new skill set, you know, being brought into an industry. And I think it probably will be <clears throat> brands that get to take advantage of that. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be technology providers that really solve the metaverse issue because, or gain adoption in metaverse in a significant way because there's no like intrinsic value. Whereas like a Gucci or a, a nike or an adidas like they basically sell nfts anyway you know but you can just wear them so like that to me they're already in the space without really realizing you know like they're, they're adding some value to what we're existing anyway what what i've heard what i've heard people say that i really agree with is that that blockchain and crypto kind of remained on the fringes until nfts and the reason yeah. for that is that nfts all of a sudden became a symbol of culture yep. as opposed to the symbol of tech yeah. and and when you think about that as a symbol of culture where brands fit is 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 brands are cultural accelerants right what a brand does is we they want to associate themselves with culture and so the way they do that is by adopting some of that, by putting media behind it, by, by, by effectively being a distribution channel for cultural trends, for cultural norms, so that they can associate themselves with it and, and own a piece of that and be associated with it. In that sense, I think brands can accelerate the, the, the uptake of, of NFTs, but, but really just the uptake of Web3 overall and, and, and the, the principles behind it in a huge way. I agree. And I've, I've kind of been toying with this idea for a while, but like if you if you look at the Renaissance period, like it was after a period of despair where there was illness, and that's where you got the first merchant bankers, right? Which were then able to travel to support new ventures through art, through commerce, through finance. And there's an argument to be made that that's what decentralized finance was. After a period of despair through a pandemic, people looked inwardly, created a new solution for moving payments, which then has enabled NFTs to exist, which captured that cultural zeitgeist. And I've the term I've been using is the meme maissance. You know, like if you if you become a meme, you become famous. Like that's kind of what brands are trying to tap into is something that's memeifiable. You know, like I saw the video of the six chaps carrying the coffin on their shoulders that was before like certain videos that just got sold, you know, like the, the baby that had the fist bump, I think that got sold as an NFT, you know, like those things spread like wildfire and tapping into that zeitgeist, I think could serve brands very well. Yeah. Listen, Brett brands, Brett, the, we, the term meme is, is new, but the idea of kind of creating that one uh, shareable element 
or that one element that everybody remembers and is talkable, this is, this is, this is age old, right? Yeah. So, so we might be talking about memes today, but we've been thinking about memes for, 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 for Yance. Certainly. Yeah. Like, I think I, I once walked around the Getty, um, it's the Getty museum. And like, it was all the, the kind of the periods that are from the Renaissance. And all my brain was thinking was to try to make funny memes you know, out of the old school pictures of like the Prince and the pauper or whoever it was like. So I think you're absolutely bang on what you're saying. We've always been trying to do it. <laughs> Probably doing it then having a right old laugh in Italy, 500 years ago, at a funny pose and an oil painting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, you're better than me. I, I, I go through those and I just look at the art. But next time I'm probably going to sit there and start trying to imagine exactly what they're saying. Yeah. And imagine what the artist was saying behind the canvas, you know. <laughs> there you go. I've, got, I've got a very vivid imagination. Um, so I, we've talked, I guess, about like a lot of the forward facing and stuff that maybe hasn't quite happened yet. Do you think there's any brands that have done a good job with NFT so far? Well, I, listen, I think that there are lots of brands that are trying to do interesting things. Um, and, and within the confines of what's possible, yeah, there are people that are doing great things. You know, when you look at, when you look at what Gucci's doing with Gucci Grails, I think they're doing uh, amazing partnerships with really big and solid communities. They're building on those partnerships and, and adding real value to those communities. Uh, they're, they're, they're also tapping into what the kind of, uh, exclusivity and some of the principles and some of some of the kind of grind that that you might like or dislike, but that goes that goes with those communities. They're they're being quite genuine to the space they're working in. It's it's super impressive what they've managed to accomplish and what they've managed to do. And and at the same time, you've got you've got both Nike and Adidas who have taken completely different tracks. Mm. Nike, uh, in terms of well, uh, a Roblox integration. AR work in their store in New York to make it feel like Roblox yeah. and, and then everything that they're doing with artifact, you know, that they've, that, that's, that's a buy and build acquisition. You've got Nike, you've got Adidas who's gone through a partnership model. I, I think there's lots of people that are doing things that are really interesting and great. Yeah. I think that, that when you look at it, most brands don't survive on 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 person communities. Yeah. They, they survive on the millions. And so while we are, are, are seeing some really good innovative work um, and interesting work, it, it, it works for the highly engaged communities. It works for the early adopters who are willing to deal with, let's face facts, some pretty piss poor user experience yeah. and some pretty piss poor on ramps. Yeah. And, and, so within the confines that brands have to play, there are some brands doing great work. But what I'm really excited about are uh, people starting to come up with better user experiences and more seamless on-ramps and ways to, to get a mass market involved because, because it needs to happen at some point. And, and in truth, that focus can only come with a focus on security as well, right? You can't yeah. do that and ignore the security side. So, so there will be other other benefits that I hope come along with it. But, but that's hope because because yeah, yeah. I, I think the the point you made about the total audience of a brand, I think, is very interesting. And I think I would counter that by saying, like, if you look at the board apes, for example, which I think have 
probably gone as far as any NFT project in becoming a brand. Like they're very much like a supreme kind of like streetwear yeah. culture type yeah. brand. If you've got a board ape right now, it's worth three hundred thousand dollars. You know, like you, I think if you have that board ape, you'll buy anything with a board ape logo on it. So it's like interesting to see if that like the do thirty thousand people that are fans of board apes equate to a much larger audience because of their fanaticism is what I guess the point is. Sure. Uh, I, I totally, I totally buy that they do, but, but how many Supremes are there in the world, Very right? Yeah, Versus true. how many brands are there in the world? There, there are, you, you've got to have both kinds of brands out there mm-hmm. and they're absolutely the kinds of brands that are going to build that halo that everybody's going to want to work around and you know, I think I think Board Ape is a fant- Board Ape Yacht Club is a fantastic example yeah. of of uh, an NFT community that have become a powerhouse brand, yeah. and and they will have mass market appeal. Um, but but that's not going to work for every brand's use case. Yeah, and you're gonna we're gonna need to find uh, or or brands who want to be involved are going to want to find use cases that 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 appeal to a mass market where the mass market doesn't have to have $300,000 to get in. Yeah. Um, because most people don't have that as a disposable <laughs> yeah, income. Nice, yeah. the, the, the reality is the way things scale is by bringing walls down, not by building walls up. Yeah. And, and the way things draw appeal Right. What the way the way PR might work is by building exclusivity walls. Mm-hmm. And and PR can work by going, oh, we're gonna make something more exclusive, more elusive, more expensive. And then everybody wants to talk about it. Great, it's PRable. But but if you want to drive adoption and scale, that's something different. Yeah. I think like to me, like a great use case for an NFT is lifetime value of a particular customer. If you kind of take an e-commerce use case, like if if someone's incentivized to keep an NFT they receive from any brand, like it could be Boots in the UK, have a really good club card scheme, you know, like if the longer that you held your NFT, the higher your multiplier got, so long as you continued purchasing once a week, that then makes a lot of sense to hold an NFT if you're a Boots shopper, you know. I think I think the loyalty use cases are um, really really interesting. Yeah, and I think that, that we're going to see some really interesting um, adventures in that space over the next 12, 24 months. Definitely, because I remember when Nando's first came to the UK. I used to go and get my stamps on my Nando's card, and I was like, you know what, I can just get a stamp. <laughs> Sorry, Nando's, um, and just used to stamp the card myself, you know, and just get my free chicken. Which- <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't admit that, but you know, like I think we're not the only person that did it. And that is solved by an NFT, you know, because that's a big leak in value for Nando's. Me when I was going once a week, <laughs> not paying as much as I should have done perhaps because I had a stamp. Um, but that is prevented by an immutable record of what is a real account, what isn't a real account. And then you'd never technically lose your loyalty unless there was an expiration window that was enforced by the brand, which again, I'm probably sure there's lots of wasted discounts that exist in the world. And and potentially the interesting side of it is it makes your your loyalty transferable, yeah. um, depending on how things are set up. But but you could set it up so that there's actually elements of value that that drift into your your loyalty account that are transferable in the same way that right now 
I can sell the frequent flyer miles that I have with an airline. There is a resale market for those miles. Mm-hmm. It's not a great resale market, but it exists. Um, and and you can just, I mean, you can you can look on eBay for, for yeah. frequent flyer miles and buy them. Um, <laughs> yeah, which and is FIFA points as well. It's kind of nuts, really. And that, that just opens up people to be scammed. You know, there's that point where you have to send your money without receiving your points, which like, you know, why would you... It's risky. Um, yeah. I think what's, I guess, what's the case against Web3? You know, like, I think we're very much drinking the Kool-Aid. I think, is it inevitable? Is there no case against this? Is it just, is it just going to happen? Um, or is there powers or whoever it may be? That- I'm, 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 I'm too bullish for it to be the guy who gives you the case against yeah, Web3. I, I, <laughs> I, I do think, I do think, though, that there are, cases where it's not the answer yeah right i i think that right now when 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 you talk to people in this community there are a lot of people who just will say that you know what it's it's a better answer for just about everything and everything should be decentralized and that's that i'm not sure whether i agree with with that point there are elements that that probably benefit from a better from a bit of centralization um and and that's okay, mm. and and that that's normal. And when you look within the space, you know you'll you'll see different tokens that have different degrees of centralization and decentralization. And 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 you'll have kind of a a, a community that sits there and will say and will advocate for the the greater the decentralization, the the greater the value that 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 actually has, or or the the greater the um, security that it has. But at the same time. You know, is that is that true for everything? Yeah. No. No. I always think of um there was I think it was a ship and they let the just the population vote on the best name for this new ship and the best oh, name that's was my favorite case study yeah, ever. It's Bo- great. Boaty McBoatface, you know, like there's Boaty McBoatface. And I'm really disappointed that they didn't that they overruled it. Yeah, Boaty I know, yeah. was the best answer. And and the issue with the issue with an election for something like that is if you're going to put options in, you have to be willing to live with the options you have. Yeah. If if you you know if you have politicians, it doesn't matter whether you like the politician or not. If the worst politician wins, the worst politician still won. Yeah, that's that's the way it works. Yeah. Bodie McBoatface won. Yeah, it's truly a disappointment and a failure of democracy all around. Yeah, I totally agree. Because I mean, and then that's why you have the, the monster raving loony party show up at by elections in the UK. Just some nutter in a hat, but like <laughs> he's allowed to do it because democracy, right? So I think that's and that's where people think they can control other people until they offer people the chance to name a boat and then they really see how much control they have and the mischief that people are willing to uh undertake for a bit of a laugh but i think that that's depending on who you are when you look at the boat team at boat face story like that is why there should be no decentralization or that is exactly why there should be you know it's one of those cool examples that plays both sides (laughs) yeah yeah i i i I, um I think in that example, I'd probably side on the uh, on the. This should be totally decentralized, and they should have just gone with the uh, with the with the answer. Absolutely. But but I do think when when it comes to uh, you know where do I where do I want do I want my my police and and do I want criminal records stored in a decentralized way? 
I'm, I'm not actually sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's the correct answer. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to have a chat with someone who can tell me that it should be the correct answer, and I'd love to. Mm. Uh, but, but, but should court records and, and, uh, and these things be stored that way? Eh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but I think it's like it's one of those things, though, where I guess the beauty of decentralizing information is that you become you, the individual at the edge, own the information and you are the gateholder on who can 100%. access or not. And I think sometimes if you think 100%. about healthcare in the UK, it's 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 held in each doctor's surgery that you go to your past record. But it makes way more sense for me to hold my data and I take it to whichever new surgery I go to rather than trying to follow around where the information was, you know, like that's again, the beauty of bringing oh, stuff to the edge. Uh, the, the thing that excites me most about this space and the thing that keeps me really passionate about this space is that I think uh, the wallet can become uh, a, a, a holistic identity, whether it's a wallet yeah. or, or another element within a wallet or how that works. But I, I think the portability of my identity and my ownership of my identity is what I'm more bullish on and more excited about than just about anything else. Yeah. And it permeates everything, including the fact that my police records should be tied to that wallet. But do I think they should necessarily have decentralized access to those records? Not necessarily, yeah. but there are elements that should exist within it. Um, Anyways, you get the idea, but but a hundred percent, like we we solve a huge number of problems. Mm. Uh, the moment th that some data, like you just said, is is not stored within your local doctor's office, but is but is but is actually decentralized and accessible uh, at at your discretion and and through your permission Absolutely. to the people you want to share it with. There's a whole lot of security that needs to go with that. But yeah. Because I think like if you look at just ads on the internet, you know, like any website you arrive to now, it's going to ask you what you think about cookies. And 99% of people don't know what they think about them because they don't really understand what they do. And then that data is held in framework that, depending on who you ask, is or isn't compliant with the GDPR. And I think the, the real solution to that is each individual hold their consent to particular websites in their own wallet, in their own person, rather than it being managed by a centralized database, essentially. And that then removes the necessity for GDPR in any capacity, really, because you are saying who can pass the information to whom. And with these payment rails, you now can receive a reward for doing so. You know, like that's where wall gardeners made their money is they decided the margin that they were going to share with users zero it was just free content but content has increased exponentially that's not good enough of an incentive now for me to share my data online because i can get free content literally anywhere more than i'll ever read you know view watch you name it um it, it you say that, but at the same time, I pay for more content today than I've true. ever paid for in my life because I'm willing to pay for quality. And, and so, you know, where uh, a huge number of the publications that, that I subscribe to now had no paywalls for mm. a long time. The, the, the New York Times had no paywall for a while. Uh, I am more than happy to, to pay them um, and to pay for that that journalism because because it, it is of a of a certain quality. Now don't get me wrong, I agree with you hundred percent that uh that that there is a huge value 
and my being able to, to, to own and govern mm-hmm. the decisions of who can access that data. The, the challenge that I see is that right now, what I, what I haven't seen is anybody who's going to make that easy for my mother. Yeah. Right. I, I don't, she doesn't want to make a decision and, and the honest, well, my mother probably does, but, <laughs> but, but that's a different story. You yeah. get the, you get, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, get, you get the point. The, the, most people don't want to make that decision. And, and the, ch- the problem with GDPR or the problem with one aspect of it, uh, where, wherein they started to say that everybody needed to consent to cookies and all of that and, and all of that mm-hmm. is, I, I don't know anyone who's ever clicked on, who's ever read what the terms actually yeah. are. Uh, I don't know anyone who's done that. And I don't know anyone who clicks most people just click yes by default. Yeah. Right. Everyone's kind of clicks yes because they want the content on the other side of this, of this wall. It's free to click. Yes. Mm -hmm. I just have to click yes. And I'm scared that if I click no, you're just going to tell me that I can't have the content because I've clicked no. So, so you people click yes to something because it's the path of least resistance. That's easy, right? You've created a path. It's fairly easy. The challenge with getting people to govern this themselves is outside of a, a, a number of super users, does it change anything? Mm. Or are they just going to say, give everyone everything? Yeah. Because, because that's the easiest thing for me to do, which in some cases might actually be a worse solution mm. where there's less security involved because all of a sudden they're giving permission to everything when... Um, they should be a little bit more restrictive. Yeah. Um, so, so, so we haven't worked out the security and the responsibility metrics there. And I, I do think that it's, it's on, uh, it, it's on brands and it's on uh, the technology providers that are cr- creating these solutions to, if, if they want to say that, that, that we're putting the consumer at the heart of this and the decentralization is about empowering people. Well, it's not good enough to just empower people if you're not educating them in a way that they make use of it correctly. And if they're not going to make use of it correctly because the experience is too difficult, then how do you manage that? So so you've got to work through a, a number of edge cases before I think that that explodes, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah, I, I, mean, think, I think it's you like it's your the data that's in your wallet are essentially your preferences at the end of the day. And I think that yeah. to your point, people click yes to get the content. So if the incentive was by sharing your preferences of content you like to read, that then is applied to every publication, every content that you ever visited. So then you get some of that improved user experience through sharing preferences, which might incentivize those future actions we just talked about. Yeah, but but that's innocuous data, right? Yeah. That, that that's that that's innocuous data. What what you what what we need to watch out for is people clicking yes, I'll share my credit card details with everyone. Yeah. Right. And 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 that will happen. Um, <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Well, people do it over the phone now, you know. So exactly my point. Right? Mm. It doesn't take that much. To, to actually get people to give up some fairly sensitive information today. Mm. And, and if you want to empower them to, to be in control of everything, which, which genuinely I think is the right direction mm-hmm. from, a, from a 
principle perspective, I think there's there's something right about people owning it, people being in control of that. I, 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 but at the same time, there is a responsibility to do it in a way where where you're not putting people at unnecessary risk. Like people yeah. want to know that what they have is safe and what they have is taken care of. And they don't want to have to become super users and experts to be able to manage that. And until the on-ramps keep people safe, you're not going to see mass adoption because, because people won't want to take the risk. And, and in truth, brands probably shouldn't take the risk of associating themselves with, yeah. with things where, where people are, are in jeopardy. So, so, so the big on-ramps uh, need to sit around, you know, what is the experience? How do we keep people safe? How do we make sure people aren't going to do something unintended, share something unintended, lose things? Um, how do we make sure that their data is used in a, in a responsible way? The other element about wallets, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you tell me that every transaction associated my, with my wallet is, is targetable, um, do, do I want people to be able to target me based on the, the, the total value of transactions that have gone through my wallet? No, I don't. Yeah. Um, th- this is... There are there are responsibilities that we that we have to work through in order to in order to manage this. Um, I think that uh, we, yeah, I think that we we've got to make sure what we're not doing is just breaking things. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's it's interesting though because I think probably people have their financial data sold without them knowing it when they sign up to services like Experian, and I think we're like. Where you have like the the wallet, whilst it can be very accurate in terms of identifying you as the wallet holder, it also is quite inaccurate. You know, like every Ethereum wallet, you can see what's gone on in the transactions right now and it's hidden behind what is a hashed ID, essentially. So long as there was nothing. So you hadn't bought Ethereum with Apple Pay in your MetaMask, for example, that would probably be able to tie it a little bit closer. But like if it Not was yet, limited, so- if it was limited to okay, I can see that you've got one ETH in here. That means you've got $3,000 of probably spare income that you don't need to use to keep the lights on. That's actually quite an interesting data point about someone's, instead of an Experian data, you know, it's like, okay, we can infer that this person might have X based on Y and then target them accordingly with brands that are relevant for whichever pocket they end up being categorized into, um, depending on the amount of currency. And then I think equally what, what we think about quite a lot is that there's loads of crypto brands, crypto first brands that have never really looked back into traditional web two marketing techniques. Like you see crypto.com sponsoring arenas and FTX sponsoring formula one cars. That's not that exciting to me, you know, like programmatic advertising is an awesome bit of kit. And I think if you're able to then target certain token holders with tokens that are competitive or sympathetic to the ones they have within their wallet for the crypto world that gets this it's quite an interesting marketing channel for them to start using which they haven't done in a big way yet oh 100 I, I mean you look at you look at alfa romeo saying that they're going to put the titles of cars and that they've that they've launched a car mm-hmm. where uh where where the the title is an nft right yeah and 
And, and the idea that the title is an NFT of that car, if I wanted to programmatically talk to uh, car owners who of a specific value, be it that I would just want to talk to people of a certain disposable income uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm selling business class airline tickets, mm-hmm. or be it that, that I want to sell another car. And so I want to know how long the, uh, the, that, that token's been in their wallet. Yeah. And, and just so, because they're probably likely to churn and buy a new car at a specific time. So I'm just looking for, 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 for car NFTs based on a specific age um, and, and car titles that are of a specific age to retarget people. Mm-hmm. These, these, are, these are really interesting paradigms where all of a sudden you've got really interesting marketing strategies yeah. that allow for um, some interesting precision to be applied and some interesting smarts to be applied to, to, to narrow your audience. And, and we've always kind of sat there and, and there's the old adage uh, from, from, from brands and marketing, which is, I know 50% of my, of my marketing budget is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and the interesting side of this is, well, if you can, if you can actually target someone uh, with that kind of precision and you say, I want to talk to car owners who are about to churn, mm. well, this doesn't get rid of any waste. You, you know, you're talking, you start saying, well, I'm going to target people with a, with a car that's, that's three to four years old. Um, and I, and I'm only going to talk to people who own the title and that it, that's been sitting in their wallet for three to four years. Well, there's surely some waste because not all those people are really in the market to buy anything right yeah. now, but narrowing the waste way down from what it is today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you go from, you go from 50% of budget being wasted down to, I don't know, 20, 15. Yeah. I, I, and it also, it just makes the advertising more useful. I think Instagram's ad product does get a bad rap because it's too accurate, I think. But like sometimes that the ad format is perfect for the medium you're viewing it on. It's like, it looks like the posts around it. So it's not jarring as an ex- user experience other than when you think your phone's listening to you. But that's where they've gone a little bit too too clever i think but if it was a case of okay i've just moved into a new area i update my postcode in my wallet which doesn't really narrow it down too much all of a sudden local restaurants can start targeting me with offers insurance companies broadband providers you know like stuff i need at the time i need it which they can see from an actual in a signal that's deterministic not we think they've moved it will just improve wastage oh. there'll be fewer ads so it'll be better to experience content online what we've seen is uh, a world where you know web one i can I can publish something about yeah. myself or about anything and you can read it and and you just kind of have to take take the person's word on what's said mm-hmm. about themselves when they t- and 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 that's that's all you can do right so so there's just kind of a published element uh, web two you can start to get some signals and there's a probabilistic element to to be able to go what more can you infer about me what more can you learn about me? Um, web three is going to be deterministic. It's a, yeah. it, we're moving from a probabilistic web to a deterministic web, and that to me is one of the most interesting elements from a uh, from a communications perspective that's going to come about. I almost feel like that that should be the tweet. It almost seems quite nice to end on that. It's just that web three will become de- deterministic. You know, it will take away the wastage. It will allow people to be more strategic and surgical with where they spend their money 
efficacy. And then I think that's that wastage is what pisses people off online. You know, it's just like, I don't need to see these trainers for the next 30 days. Thank you. Cause I'm wearing them. <laughs> oh, come on. You like having a pair of trainers follow you around the internet, even I, after you've bought them. You know, and I, I what I think is embarrassing is that in the age of zoom calls and screen sharing, I just wrap myself out for the trainers that I've bought <laughs> every business call I'm on, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing sometimes when you see, I go, do you really buy those shoes? I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, like we know. <laughs> seen it on your browser history it's ridiculous um so yeah justin thank you very very much for joining us it's, i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation it's been awesome um great chat um and would we'd love to have you on again in the future maybe when there's been a bit more adoption we can actually talk about some of the amazing brands that have knocked it out of the park with web3 I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch and talk about it uh, offline and when when some of these things happen we can do it again brilliant thank you very much justin Thank you. Take Cheers. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.